It's the moment that many fed-up workers wait for, even dream of, quitting their job. That's why it's part of so many movies like the appropriately entitled Two Weeks Notice with Sandra Bullock. I'm representing the Wade organization. That includes you. Not anymore, George. Sorry? You got Island Towers, I got Coney Island. Why don't we just call it quits, okay? I can't take it anymore. What, are you serious? Yes. Please consider this my two weeks notice. But this American dream of leaving a bad job or just moving on to a job in the same industry with better pay or a better position is being crushed in some states for workers at all levels. Idaho is known for its potatoes, but it may become known as one of the hardest places in the country to achieve that American dream. It has the toughest law in the country stopping employees from leaving their company to work for a competitor, and it all revolves around what's known as a non-compete clause. Here to discuss the saga of the non-compete clause across the country are Michael Selmy, a professor at George Washington University Law School, and Matt Marks, a professor at the Boston University Questrom School. School of Business. Michael, let's start by talking about the non-compete clause, which was once only for senior executives, and now it's filtered down to contracts for blue-collar workers. Tell us what it is and what it does. Yes, that's right. Uh, There has been a proliferation of non-compete agreements in all kinds of jobs. Perhaps most famously, a few years ago, it uh, became notorious that Jimmy John's required a two-year non-compete clause for their sandwich makers, um, and that was, has subsequently been challenged, and, uh, and that brought a lot of attention to the growth of non-competes. Non-compete clauses typically require uh, an employee to refrain from working for a competitor, although that can be defined in any number of ways, um, for some period of time after they stop their employment. Uh, Usually the agreements are anywhere from a year to two years. Sometimes they're longer and occasionally they are shorter. Uh, And these agreements uh, can pose significant restrictions on employees' mobility, uh, and they have also led to uh, considerable litigation over the last few years. Matt, why did Idaho pass this strict law, and how strict is it? Well, I think that uh, existing corporations, whether they be large or small, are interested in retaining their employees. Um, they'd like to avoid the situation that you saw in the movie where an va- uh, employee suddenly decides to leave because then they have to rehire the person and they have to, uh, or sorry, have to replace the person. And so um, in many states, uh, existing companies, especially large companies, uh, lobby hard to keep existing laws on the books, such as happened in Massachusetts, and also to strengthen existing laws. And so I think that's what you saw in Idaho. And you've seen that also in other states uh, through the years. There have been several changes um, where companies have said, no, we want stronger enforcement. We want to be able to keep people from not just from leaving, but especially want to keep them from going and working in the same industry. Uh, Michael, with the Idaho law, tell me about what makes it stricter than other laws, how it puts the burden on the worker. Yes. Um, in, in When the, ch- uh, the clauses are challenged usually by an employee, uh, in most jurisdictions, the employer has the burden to establish that the agreement is reasonable, sort of broadly defined, and that's reasonable in the length of time, its scope in terms of where it would apply, and also courts uh, ensure that it was designed to serve a legitimate business purpose. It's 
uh, traditionally not a legitimate purpose to have a restrictive covenant simply to keep an employee. Uh, the best way of keeping good employees, obviously, is to pay them more or to treat them better. Uh, what the Iowa law does, and I believe uh, Alabama has recently done the same or similar, is it reverses the presumption. So in Idaho, uh, certain employees, they're defined as key employees, so it wouldn't apply to all the employees, would be required to prove that their leaving would not hurt the employer. Um, that's an incredibly high burden for an employee to meet and quite different from most every other jurisdiction in the country. Matt, do all workers know that they're signing this clause? Is it explained? Do they have time to look at it? That's actually one of the little-known facets of these contracts. So I did a survey a few years ago where I uh, surveyed thousands of workers in technology fields, engineering fields. And one of the questions I asked them was, when were you asked to sign this non-compete? When did you know you'd have to sign? And barely 30% of them knew about it at the time they were signing their job offer. For the vast majority, it was after that, often their first day at work, or even after they'd started the job. There's one person said, I showed up the first day, and they said, sign all this stuff, uh, direct deposit, uh, health care, non-compete. And they would look at it and say, what's this? And the company would say, oh, well, that's just, just sign it. And... Uh, and they really didn't have a chance, and it was presented as a non-negotiable uh, uh, part of working at the company. And so it's, it's, uh, it's not really a negotiation. It's more of an ambush in most cases. I'm talking about non-compete clauses being on the rise and the effect on the workforce with Michael Selmy, a professor at George Washington University Law School, and Matt Marks, a professor at Boston University Questrom School of Business. Matt, I can understand how these non-competes are good for a company, but what about the worker? What's the impetus then for giving them raises? And uh, what about the expertise the employee has gained? Does that now belong to the company? In fact, it does. In fact, the way to think about non-competes is they're kind of like a time machine, because when when you sign a non-compete, you promise not to work in the same industry or for a competitor after leaving, and it doesn't. And it's not just protecting anything you learned at that company. It's protecting all the relevant skills that you had, whether from that company, from previous jobs, even things you learned in college. It really shuts you off from using that expertise, and it affects especially people who have very specialized skills, because it's very hard for them to find another job unless it's at arrival. And to the first part of your question, it can affect earnings as well, because when there's less of a market, you're not free to explore other interests in your, in, your, uh, in your skills. And so you're basically tied to the company. And when there's less of a risk of you leaving, there's, the company doesn't need to pay as much. It's not worried about you uh, leaving for, for somewhere else. And Michael, are lawsuits on these non-competes on the rise then, or are they too expensive? Uh, lawsuit, uh, well, I, the answer to those questions are um, yes to both, actually. Uh, lawsuits are on the rise. There's been a substantial increase in litigation over non-compete clauses. And my impression in terms of reading the cases is that there is a trend towards striking them down in the courts. Courts have become quite skeptical of the breadth of a lot of the non-compete clauses. But your second question, whether they're too expensive, is also true, so that it's actually only a limited group of employees who are able to uh, 
challenge the agreements, usually uh, high-level executives, uh, and oftentimes the litigation is funded by the potential new employer as well. So most employees are unable to challenge them. And I always recall when I teach employment law at the law school, there's always somebody who comes up to me and says that they went to law school because they had a restrictive covenant that uh, prevented them from moving to a different job. Um, And I never know whether that turns out to be a good thing for them or not, but most employees are unable to challenge them, and uh, they don't realize that they could challenge them. Now, Matt, Matt, there are some states, uh, California is one, where it just, you cannot have any non-competes. Are there other other states like California? Um, North Dakota is very much like California, and there are many states with restrictions on non-competes. Many of those have evolved. For example, um, in 2008, Oregon said, Oregon tackled this notice question where they said, if you're going to have an employee sign a non-compete, you have to tell them when you offer them the job. There's none of this ambush after the fact. And New Hampshire did the same thing in 2012. So there are restrictions in different states, but I think California is the sharpest example of a state that just says you can't use these contracts. In challenging the law itself, Michael, would there be a challenge to the law in in, in a, a federal court and then an appellate court to these very strict non-competes that prevent you from, you know, working for years or longer in, in your field? Yes. Yeah, so the challenge is... Um They typically rise in state courts under the uh, varied state laws, uh, and uh, they seek to strike down the agreements as applied to a particular individual. They typically don't um, uh, apply to all the individuals in a company when they are challenged. Um, And one of the things, though, that works in the employer's favors in the litigation is that the litigation can take uh, some time. Oftentimes, the litigation might even take a year the same time that the restrictive covenant might be in place. And so even if the agreement is struck down, the simple time, the, the length of time that the litigation takes can serve the same purpose for an employer. Finally, Matt, what is there to do if you're if you're an employee and someone puts this in front of you? Is there is there any negotiating around this if they want you enough? Well, I think the thing to do is to ask before you sign your offer letter. Because once you sign the job offer, you have lost your your leverage. You need to find out in advance, is this company going to ask me to commit not to work for a rival afterwards? And because that's when you can negotiate. You can say, well, this other company isn't asking for a non-compete, or I have another job offer in California, and I'll just go there if you insist on me signing a non-compete. You've got to negotiate before you sign. Thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. It's, it's such an incredibly interesting topic. That's Matt Marks and Michael Selmy. Thank you both.